0: Hey, welcome to LSAT Boss. I'm your host, Shauna Ginsberg. Back with me again is the lovely Trudel Paré. You? Hi, everyone. Hi, Shauna. Yeah, sometimes I think I'm saying your name incorrectly, but I, if I'm saying it right, I really love it.
1: Yeah, it's um, it's, a, it's a life struggle of mine, actually, which makes my life sound very easy, which, you know, a different conversation. But, yeah, I I actually really don't like the way my name sounds when it's pronounced wrong. And so sometimes people will, like, mispronounce it. They'll call me Trudel.
0: Oh, I, uh, Trudel Pear. It's just awful. But I'm Shayna Ginsberg half the time, so I totally understand. In fact, when I got married, even the DJ... Called me Shayna, which was just, yeah. So that's not going to be my stage name moving forward, I'll tell you what.
1: <laughs> you know, like, you could be, like, Beyonce. You know what I mean? I, I've kind of, like, really grown to love my name because it's so unique. Like, I've never met another Trudeau And, like, that that's true. Is, Like, Beyonce doesn't have to use her last name. You know, she's like, hello, I'm Beyonce. But also she's very famous. So yeah.
0: So and she's not like, no, it's not Beyoncé, it's Beyoncé. I just don't think that happens a lot for her. But maybe she had to work hard at that. And maybe that's the struggle that we have to work at until we too are um, queens in our own right, Trudel. That's the goal. We've set the goal. Well, thanks everybody for joining us again. I'm excited for today's episode, but I'm excited for all episodes. That's why I do what I do. And today's inferences, which I actually think is the backbone of— all things related to logical reasoning. And I say that because it's literally in the index of the logic book that I use to develop this curriculum. So I guess it's not actually the but it's not the binding, but it's the appendix, right? It's right there at the end. And all of these inference rules are sitting there waiting for you to learn them, but they're hidden in the back of this book that nobody ever looks at except for me. And I make sure everybody knows what's on that page because what's on that page is like the algorithm for every single question that you will see. In fact, it's probably been the algorithm to develop a lot of the questions you see, even that aren't inference questions if I wasn't Jewish and I could get a tattoo, I tell everybody my tattoo would be my favorite inference rule, which is modus talendoponens. Let me just say that one more time. Modus talendoponens. Yeah, I want to like wrap that thing around my ankle. And it's one of my favorite rules. I only, there's only really three that you need to know. A couple of them are very intuitive, but we're going to teach you those three today. And we're also going to tackle a couple really important kind of international and test-expansive Mythbusters today, which have come up since I've been working with some more global and uh, West Coast students, too. So let's get back to these inference rules, because I love them. And I feel like Trudell is just so excited to be back talking about these inference rules. (laughs) Excited to be here, Shauna. LSAT knowledge. Yeah. LSAT knowledge is great because it's life knowledge too. You know, the only thing that you can't do is take the process of elimination strategies and start treating your friends that way. You can't eliminate people when you find something quote unquote wrong with them, but you sure as heck can do that with a wrong answer. So we have to be careful. You can't be cutthroat in human world, but in test world. It's very important. So Trudeller and I are here to teach you to be cutthroat, but in this very small little microcosm of this little cutthroat world that we're teaching you how to operate in. <laughs> yeah. Don't take it home. Don't bring to the dinner table. Don't engage in Elsa process of elimination techniques. I wouldn't even engage in logical reasoning that we're about to teach you today. If this is just like nighttime chatter, like you don't want to be going after somebody and saying, "Look, you're violating the flaws of inferential reasoning," and yet they might be. But sometimes you just have to go to bed, and that's you know one of the balancing acts of being an attorney. Sometimes you just have to stay quiet and choose your battles. And I've learned that.
1: arguments <laughs> doesn't make you very popular at dinner parties. Can confirm. <laughs>
0: the first rule that I mentioned is modus to lend opponents. Let's start there. Basically works like this. And I'm just going to use American alphabet letters, even though this is old school Latin. If A or B, if your whole world, there's only two options in your whole world, A or B. Well, if it's not A, then it's B. And if it's not B, then it's A. So Trudel's whole world this evening is I'm either going to order from Emmy squared. And you, by the way, you need to. And I just ordered from there. they fantastic pizza. You're either going to order from Emmy squared, or you're going to cook at home as planned. Those are your only two options in this entire world. If you say, well, I'm definitely not cooking tonight, then what we've done is we've squiggled B. We've done negation B. We've said we had two options, A or B. We're negating the second one. And that means by inferential logic, there's only one thing we can conclude now, And that is she's getting Emmy squared and you really need to. It's just so exciting. Um, And it's crunchy on the outside and you're just going to love it. And they serve it with fresh burrata on top that you put on top after you reheat it. Oh, my God, it's heaven. So, yes, this this really is a good inferential reasoning example today. So if A or B not B, then A. Are
1: they sponsoring this podcast? Maybe they should.
0: They're, they're not, you know, I haven't reached out for sponsors. I'm just so in love with food that I think chocolate chips have gotten a shout out and I haven't chocolate chip cookies. If anybody is sitting there like that has stock in chocolate, I'm sure that I've, I've helped them, but no I haven't gone after that for marketing purposes. Um, so modus to lend opponents who doesn't like it in a world where you have limited options. If it's not one, it's the other in a world where if you're limited to three options, if it's not, C and B, then it's got to be A. And you don't get to think outside that box. You don't have to say, well, what if they don't want to show up and make a decision? What if this person's ambivalent? That is not what's going on here. Okay. So modus til opponents is the first one. The conclusion that we reached is the inference. Okay, so you would see a premise if A or B, you'd see a premise that says Trudell only has two options tonight. She is either getting Emmy squared or she is cooking from home. Turns out she is not in the mood for cooking this evening. It's definitely not going to happen. Therefore, blank. You're asked to fill in the blank. That's an inference question. If If it doesn't say therefore, blank. Instead, it says if all of the following is true, which of the following must be true? Which of the following, which of these answer choices must be true? You're finding the inference. But let's step back for a moment. What is an inference by definition? Well, lucky for you, I know it by heart. And an inference by definition is a conclusion that necessarily follows from evidence and logical reasoning. It's a conclusion that necessarily follows. So it's a lot like what a conclusion is. In fact, it's got the word conclusion in it, which means, drum roll, please. (laughs) But inference is a conclusion. What does that actually mean then? It means you can apply the why test to the answer choices and only one of them would have an answer. Inferences are conclusions. Ugh, I love that knowledge bomb.
1: Well, and it's um, kind of useful backwards too, right? Like when we're thinking about the structure of a question, very often even non-inference or I would say non-inference questions and quotes, right? Because as we've talked about, inferences are very important elsewhere. Uh, in non-inference questions, you know, you're looking at essentially a set of bad inferences, right? And you're trying to f- pick them apart, figure them out.
0: Oh yeah, are, that's, that's a really things. interesting way of saying that, right? Because a bad inference is something that doesn't have enough reasoning behind it doesn't have enough evidence to substantiate it. So if you don't like the inferential reasoning, you might say, I don't know, strengthen it. Or if you find that it's pretty weak and it's a weakening question, you might, you know, play around with that gap and instead weaken it which I like to think about as taking like a new railroad track and inserting it in right after the premises, and now it goes off in a different direction as opposed to you know the conclusion it was headed in. So modus to lend opponents. yeah, you'll see this everywhere. When we do parallel the reasoning, you'll see your modus to lend opponents. and it will literally turn on the right answer. It'll be not B or not A. Like if the if it's the world of you only have two options, A or B, and if it's not B, then it's A, the wrong answers will go, well if it's not A, then it's B, and they'll reverse it. That will literally be the difference between them. So modus telendoponens. Alright. Modus ponens is the next one. This one, a lot of people hear about it in a form called the law of syllogism, which is actually a couple modus ponens kind of tacked on one after the next. Modus ponens, is it just works like this. Let's say we say, if Trudell is hungry, then she'll get me squared. And it turns out Trudell, in fact, is hungry. So what can we infer? Or I'll just throw it in there. What could we conclude? And again, as I said, since there are these rules, since there's this algorithm in place, modus ponens says the rule is, if A, then B, A therefore be. That's the rule. So going back to our example, if Trudell is hungry, then she'll get me squared. Trudell is hungry. Therefore, what? There's only one option. Modus ponens tells us she has to get me squared. Like how many ways can I use inferential reasoning to make Trudell order pizza? I think that's the real question tonight.
1: I think we should keep going and find out. Um, I'm very excited about this concept. Okay
0: favorite things. Yeah. Um, you mean logic and pizza? pizza? Yes. Okay. I just was, I just wanted to confirm. So therefore, if you only have two favorite things, logic and pizza, if we're not talking about logic, then what must be talking about? Pizza. <laughs> well,
1: I that you're inferring that I only talk about things that I'm interested in. Sometimes I talk about things that I'm not interested in.
0: I don't care. Wow. Well, you just turned that on its head. But for those of you listening, if we weren't talking about pizza, we're talking about logic. If we're not talking about logic, we're talking about pizza in this very narrow, narrow world. Let's go to my third rule. It's called modus tollens. Modus tollens. This one's really similar to modus ponens. You can even hear the first word is the same, that Latin word. So modus ponens works like this. If A, then B. See, same start. If A, then B. Not B. Therefore, not A. Not A. So if Trudella is hungry, then she will get ME squared. She didn't just get ME squared. So what can we conclude? Only one thing. We can infer she must not be hungry yet. Because if she was hungry, see how the cycle continues? If she was hungry, she'd get ME squared. But since she didn't get ME squared, then she must not be hungry. And that, a lot of people learn, is something called the contrapositive, but that misses the point. The contrapositive says that if you saw something that said, if A, then B, the contrapositive of that, which is another logical inference that can follow from if A, then B, is if not B, then not A. In other words, if, if the effect does not actually happen, then the condition that set it up must have not happened. And that is logical, and it flows from inferential rules. But when you're doing inference questions, knowing that there's this theoretical contrapositive doesn't really help much, because you have to find a premise that says, if A, then B. And you have to find another premise that negates B, not B. That's how we say it. And if you don't have those two things, then you don't have modus tollens. And if you have those two things... You got to finish the inference by saying oh well then not a. And do you see why contrapositive kind of misses the point because it expects this level of completion, but using inferences is something that you need to do to problem solve on inference questions and you have to find the parts of the inference rules. Not all of them will be there. You have to finish it. Okay, let's move into a mythbuster. Myth, buster. myth. International students are not eligible to test with accommodations. Trudell, now you and I were already talking about this earlier.
1: So I'm very excited to test the Smith because again I'm learning something new today.
0: Yeah. So it doesn't matter where you're living. I work with students in Brazil, in Poland, in Hong Kong, and not every country views accommodations the same way that America does. And a lot of countries don't have any laws to protect against disability discrimination and things like that. So don't worry because the only regulations that matter are the ones that LSAC requires to complete the application paperwork. And your doctor or medical provider might be really, really green to this system, meaning he or she might not know how it all works, but that's why I do what I do with my accommodation service so that I can help you prepare your paperwork, provide instructions to your medical provider or counselor, psychiatrist, psychologist, wherever you are in the world, and we can complete that paperwork and get you the accommodations that you deserve which will be really helpful if you're going to an American law school in particular or a Canadian law school, because having that paperwork in place means that there will be more evidence to support ongoing accommodations for you in the future. All right. There's one more myth that we want to bust today. It's just a short one, and it's one that you probably wouldn't expect. But myth, it's just as easy to get accommodations for the GRE as it is for the LSAT. And this is one you just learned today, too, Trudell. Yes.
1: It makes me glad, again, that I did not take the GRE. I did not take the GRE because I am terrible at math. So I thought that the LSAT would be easier to study for, and here we are. But apparently, it is much harder to get accommodations for the GRE than for the LSAT. So, And why is that, Shauna? Can you explain a little bit more about the process or anything?
0: Well, if I had 100,000 future attorneys threatening to sue me for disability discrimination, I think that I might change my tune about whether or not I wanted to challenge the legitimacy of doctor notes and things like that. I also think lawyers are very meticulous, and so therefore future lawyers are. So they're probably better at following instructions and therefore not getting their paperwork rejected for really basic reasons. But there's something bigger going on in my opinion um, and I'm glad I have that pl- this platform to discuss it for whatever reason people that don't have long educational histories of accommodations and a lot of people in this country and in the world don't ETS the education testing service that runs GRE and TOEFL and the Praxis exam for teachers they use that as evidence that you are not disabled or not disabled long enough to warrant it and that somehow there's some degree of suspicion that you have a later-in-life uh, disability that's now being documented. And I don't know uh, what really gives them the right to err on the side of such presumption. Um, I know a lot of the clients that I work with didn't know that they had diagnoses, even though public schools do evaluate students when they provide some symptoms of uh, disabilities or the parents request uh, evaluations so that they can get support services. And that I help students with that too as an education and disability attorney. But there are parents that are not aware of the symptoms and signs of disabilities. There are teachers that view disciplinary issues as, um, Uh, just being defiant or lazy as opposed to signs of and symptoms of ADHD. And so it's often when you're flunking out of something in college and struggling to focus that you get that ADHD diagnosis. And so the late in life diagnosis doesn't mean that you're suddenly now hyperactive and unfocused and inattentive. It means that you've always struggled with it, but nobody ever supported you in the way that you probably needed. And so it's never too late. It just means that it requires an increased degree of support and documentation under this increased scrutiny that ETS will give you. Uh, and I'm sorry in advance because it's um, it, it really is an uphill battle sometimes for students, whereas LSAC has already accommodated them quickly within like a week and ETS will continue to battle with you for months. All right. Well, we're going to call it today for this episode. I'm going to have Trudel come back for another inference lesson, and we'll go over some really complex questions that you're going to see on test day. But for now, take some time to identify that modus ponens, modus tollens, and modus ponens, in the structures that you're seeing on practice questions. And when things get kind of complex, like in abductive arguments, where you have A leads to B, leads to C, leads to D. The inference is going to be that A leads to D, but you're going to have to map out that sequence on your paper sometimes to really keep track of everything because they're not really written in that nice sequential order. Otherwise, it would be too easy. And you're also going to notice that there are some arguments that use words like all and some and most, and those don't get laid out in that same kind of sequential annotation. Instead, it's more of like a decision-making tree. Like if some of the coffee houses play live music, then we can infer that most of the coffee houses don't play live music. And that inference isn't stated, but it's a conclusion that necessarily follows. So we'll be back with more questions next time. I think that you'll have a much better time tackling inference questions now that we've been able to review all of this thank you so much for listening and we'll be back stay tuned and happy studying
1: bye may not always come sometimes
0: I don't know what to do I just wanna you fly away the TV fly through the tree right by you, you by me everything you
1: can leave to me in the world of
0: beauty feels like This podcast has been brought to you by Ginsburg Advanced Tutoring. Find us on the web at www.GinsburgAdvancedTutoring.com.